God, would you look into the deepest part of who we are? We call it, we, we would say, look into our heart. But we know that our heart is just a beating organ. And that's not really where our soul is. But God, would you look deep into who we are as a person? Would you right now give us a deep breath of peace and hope? Perspective on who we are and who you want us to be. God, I pray that right now you wouldn't allow you would allow us to be in a place where our lives, whether good or bad, wouldn't cloud what you have to say today. That we could hear you even in the midst of life. We know that you choose not to speak over our lives, but you want us to quiet our lives so that we can hear you. So we choose to do that now. We quiet the things in our lives so that we can hear from the only voice that really matters in the long run. Would you speak truth to us that is so real that it's unmistakably from you? And we'll listen and we'll act on it in your son's name. Amen. So chapter 15 of the story um, gets us into what I really start to think of as the meat of God's story. Um, now, it's funny because there's a lot of meat here. Um, but if you're, if you're kind of looking at the story as a whole, if you're not careful, you'll start to kind of trail off. And some of you, I know, I, I just know how, how it works. Some of you have already quit reading. I'm going to ask you, pick it back up. You can start in chapter 15 if you want. But things really start getting different um, with, with the story here. And it begins to really apply to our lives in an amazing way. And really want you to kind of start reading this. And, and digging into it. And if, if you've kind of missed it or if you've dropped it a little bit, I want to kind of give you a real quick recap um, with a timeline. And I love this. Um, this is a quick timeline of, of history and how the Bible relates to it, okay? You can, you can break this up really into 500-year increments by using these guys, okay? And this takes us right up to Jesus himself. Abraham was 2000 B.C. Now, you'll, you'll see this in your textbooks at school. The word B.C., uh, that, that label B.C., it means before Christ, this is really cool. The entire world began using the, the phrase before Christ to talk about Jesus Christ being the very central figure in all of history. The whole world uses this. In fact, to the point where people who don't believe in Jesus, don't believe that he was the son of God, they still use Jesus as the central point of history because you can't go change people's all of history based on this. But they, you may see it called BCE. Have you ever seen that? And what they mean by that is people who don't believe Jesus was the Son of God call it before the common era um, instead of before Christ. But B.C. means before the birth of Christ. So um, 2,000 years before Jesus was born on the earth was Abraham, who God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And at this point, this is where the promise that God said, I want to have a group of people on earth that will represent me. That when people look, when people outside of God, when they look at this group of people, they go... I want, to, I want to live like they live. By the way, that should still be us. <laughs> um, but at this point in history, this was a group of people that, that God raised up through Abraham. 500 years later, Moses took this group of people out of bondage. They were in slavery um, in Egypt. They'd been slaves for a long time. And Moses, did, did, by the grace of God and with some incredible miracles, got them out of Egypt in what we call the Exodus. Um, what the Bible terms as the Exodus. It's the great exit of Egypt, and it's an amazing story. 
Um, 500 years later, we see the life of King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, who was the king of Israel at the time, did some awful things um, and did some amazing things. And through it, we get some of the most incredible poetry um, the world has ever known. An incredible guy. 500 years after that is Daniel. You may know him, uh, you know, his last name for some of you may be And the Lion's Den. Um, Daniel and the Lion's Den, this is an amazing story. Stay tuned for that. It's coming up soon. Daniel was an amazing guy. And then 500 years after Daniel was Jesus. Uh, Jesus was born. And we're going to, we got like four chapters left before we get into the birth of Jesus and, uh, uh, in the story. So I want to kind of give you some perspective. And it's kind of cool. You can kind of keep track of Bible history just by thinking of those guys as sort of milestones every 500 years throughout history. And so right now we're somewhere between David and Daniel in the story. Okay, And at this point in history, God begins to raise up some people. And he's always done this. But he begins to raise up some people who have a different perspective on life. I don't know if you've ever known anybody that you feel like just looks at life a little different. Um, In the 60s, they used to call them hippies. (laughs) Um, That's not what I'm talking about. Not just people who decide to walk a different direction. These are people who choose to have the perspective from uh, from God. They choose to be able to look at things from a big perspective. And I've got to be honest with you this morning. Um, I'll just be real honest with you this morning. I have a problem with perspective in my life. I have uh, what the doctors call chronic anxiety. Um, I take medication. Right now I'm not on it, but I'm probably going to end up back on it. had a rough week in San Francisco. Um, when things get busy in my life, when things get crazy in my life, I tend to lose perspective on everything. And what happens to me And maybe some of you feel this way too. What happens to me is that I wake up in the morning with this shortness of breath and with this lack of peace that that doesn't make sense as a Christian. I know I should have peace. But the more I think about things, the worse it gets. The more I dwell on my life and on the stress and on the money and oh my goodness and what about this meeting, it gets worse and worse and worse. And the more I think about me, the worse the anxiety gets. If I can get perspective, if I can have a moment where I can step back and see what life really is and remind myself that that two o'clock meeting I have with a big client isn't one way or the other is not the end of the world. If I can step back and see that my money problems are going to, they're, they're going to be hard at times, but the next day is going to come and it'll be okay. If I can step back and get that perspective, my anxiety starts to go away. Now, this is somewhat, there's some chemical issues and some hereditary issues, but this is somewhat in everybody, okay? We all have this sort of issue with our lives. These are people that God put on the earth, they began to be known as prophets, and that's a word that you're not, that we've associated with other things. I want to kind of kill that in you today, because what a prophet of God, or what a prophet was at this point in history was somebody who had a different perspective. They had God's perspective on life, and they very rarely lost it. They very rarely lost why they're there, what they're supposed to be doing. And God would, it's it's kind of weird. Sometimes he would raise up people like this, and sometimes they would be born like this. And it's almost like God would say, I need need somebody to give my perspective to the world. So I'm just going to put him in his mommy's belly and start working him right now and give him that perspective. And then sometimes they would grow up, and because of life circumstances, whatever, they would make a change. But there is this sense that God is needing and wanting these people to come up and to yell at people. This is what they do. I don't know if you read through this, but often the prophet comes up, he stands somewhere, and he goes, you guys are going the wrong way. You have lost it. You have completely lost perspective. Now, there's a guy named Jeremiah at this point 
Um, you've heard of Jeremiah. If you've been around the church very long, he said some amazing things. But this guy said one time that they wanted him to keep quiet. They were tired of hearing from him, which some of you say that after my sermons. Um, but he was standing up and he was just talking all the time. And finally he said, I have to, and maybe you've heard this, I have to speak. There is a fire in my bones. <coughs> and the idea of Jeremiah was, it's going to come out of me. It's like, it's, it's not my conscious decision. It's just going to come out of me. There was this thing in Jeremiah that just needed to be said. He was one of those prophets. But, you know, when we talk about prophets now, if you watch the History Channel, you may hear the name Nostradamus, if you've heard that name. Um, there's lots of other people that are called prophets because they guess. They make guesses about the future. Now, what's funny about Nostradamus is that he makes these really generalized comments about the future. And then what we do is we go back and we go, that sounds like Hitler. He predicted Hitler, you know, and we kind of push in his comments. Truthfully, I don't believe Nostradamus, I believe he was a smart man. I don't believe he was a prophet. I don't believe that he, he had any powers to see the future. I believe that he know, he understands history and that history repeats itself and he can point to some things. The truth is these prophets, these people that uh, be, pretend to see the future um, aren't from God. And I'm just going to take this moment to now let you know, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, you don't believe that there's anybody that can tell the future either. So you don't call in to the psychic hotline. I've got Christian friends who, who make, psych, make the psychic hotline a part of their monthly budget. And you go, what? God is the only one who knows. God is the only one who knows the future. So at this point in history, there were a lot of people that would, were sort of psychics and would tell the future. These aren't just future tellers. They're not just people who are telling the future. These are people who have a message from God. Now, the last 17 books in the Old Testament, the last 17 books in the Old Testament are written by or worded by prophets. People that God has given that perspective to. Sometimes they're amazing poets. Sometimes they, they just put words together. They're so beautiful. And sometimes these guys, they're not poets. They just are real blunt, and they just say it. Um, and sometimes I kind of like both. There are, now check this out. There are 60 major prophecies. Now that is, yeah, I guess it sort of is telling of the future um, at this point. There are 60, mil, or 60 million, there are 60 major prophecies about Jesus in the, in the, during these prophets' time. Now these are comments that they'll make about the coming Jesus, the pr- comments that they'll make, even specific comments. Um, and listen to this. If all of those were coincidence, okay, if all of those were coincidence, and remember, these were all written, and we, we have scientific proof, uh, these were all written before the birth of Jesus Christ. These point to Jesus as the coming Messiah, as the Savior of the world. Sixty major prophecies about Jesus. If those were coincidence, it would be a one and ten to the 157th power chance that would it all happen to one man. Jesus. That's one with followed by 157 zeros behind it. That's the chances of it of, of a one guy just getting lucky that everybody prophesied what was going on in his life. This is one of the things that I love about the Bible. This is one of the things that strengthens my faith as somebody who isn't given the gift of faith. I struggle with faith. And one of, those, one of the things that really strengthens my faith, if you struggle too, is to look back and go, I know the Old Testament was written before Jesus was even born, and look at some of these statements that were made about Jesus. These prophets had perspective. And they weren't just future tellers. They were people that God was saying, I, I want to speak through you, and your life has to have perspective before I do that. Check this out. Here's some of the, some of the uh, best-known quotes um, in Isaiah chapter 7, which we're going to study in a couple weeks. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him 
Emmanuel. You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. How cool is that? At that it, it's cool to us because we know the story of Jesus. But at that point, when Isaiah said it, there was no Jesus. There was no sense of God with us. There was no sense of a person with us. If God was with us, he was, in the, in the, he was a cloud in the, in the tent, in the church. So this was an amazing prophecy by an amazing prophet. And Jeremiah, the one who said he had fire in his bones, says this, for, for I know the plans I have for you. Many of you have written this on things. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Some of you need to write that down right now. That's God's promise. How cool would it be? Maybe this is just for me because I, I, I'm into this thing. How cool would it be to be able to pin those words from, from the Creator? To be able to look into somebody's lives and say, God has a message for you. Now, there are people on the earth right now who consider themselves prophets. There are Christian people who call themselves prophets. I don't believe I'm a prophet. I, I, don't, there's, I, I believe I've been given the gift and the, the responsibility of preaching. I don't think that, that makes me in some ways just somebody who kind of reiterates God's word. I'm not a prophet, but I, I do have the opportunity to reiterate some of the things the prophet said. An amazing thing. Um, in Isaiah, then, listen to this. This may be good for those of you who are hurting today, too. But those who have hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Beautiful piece of poetry written by a prophet. And as we go through this next slide, as we go through, there's the people with perspective, and these prophets seem to have four things. And I want you to hear this today because I believe that the, the fourth one is the secret to getting perspective in your life. And when you get perspective on your life, which some of you have completely lost. I lost it on Tuesday in San Francisco. To get perspective on your life, there are some things you need to have. And, and, and I want to kind of share that with you before I tell you what, what is my favorite story in this whole, this whole chapter. These people with perspective, often they seem weird and different. They just do. They seem really strange. I met a guy um, not that long ago. In fact, I... I uh, we've kind of been friends on Facebook now since I met him, who um, was on a plane with me, and he was three seats behind me, and I just heard him talking the whole time. And I heard him, I kind of thought he was talking to himself. He seemed like one of the people that might talk to himself, you know what I'm saying? I think he was even answering himself a couple times. And so he was talking to himself, and I turned around, and I went back to go to the bathroom, and I realized that there was a woman sitting next to him crying. And I thought, what is he doing to this woman, and what's happening? And when I came back, they were holding hands, and he was praying for her. I came back from the bathroom, and I sat down, and I was like, oh, wow, I wonder what's just going on there. So I kind of put my headphones on, and about 20 minutes later, I'd had a cup of coffee, and I needed to go again. So I stood up, and he was gone. He wasn't in that seat anymore. And now, before you think one of those stories of, he was an angel. No, he was about six seats back on the left, in another empty seat, with another guy praying with him, and that guy was crying. And I went back, went to the bathroom, I came back, he was not sitting in that seat anymore. He was now in first class, which you're not allowed to do. He was in first class in another empty seat next to another person and was talking with them. And finally, I just I was thinking, who is this guy? He finally came, and his real seat was across from me, just across the aisle. So he sat down, and he just sat down. He's one of those guys just that, I'll just be honest, he's just weird. He's just weird. He smiles all the time. He's so happy. You know, usually when you get on the plane, even good Christian people, they don't look at each other. They put their heads down. They stay to themselves. If you're normal, you stay to yourself. You might smile and, yes, ma'am, yes, thank you. This guy is talking to everybody. He's got this huge smile. He sits down in his seat, and he kind of falls into his seat, and he goes, well, praise the Lord. 
And I thought, who says that on a plane? <laughs> yeah, this is your preacher. Because that's what we do, isn't it? You know, even if you, have a, even if you have those feelings, if you have those emotions, you keep them to yourself, don't you? This guy, I looked across the aisle, and he said, he looked at me, I must have given him a look like a heathen. Because he looked at me and he said, son, do you know Jesus? I think I gave him the impression I didn't. And I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, then i got to tell you what just happened. And he said, God just led me to sit down next to this woman. And I sat next to her and she said, you know, I, I saw a guy, I, I'm just so thankful. And he said, I, 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 she accepted Jesus right here in row 13. And when she was done, I said, he said, I, I looked at her and I said, would you pray with me that God would continue to lead people into our lives? And she goes, well, why you say that? I noticed a guy was really upset on his phone. He's in 17B. And he said, I thought, well, unless there's a seat open next to him, I'm just not going to take that from God. He stood up and 17A was open. So he went back and he led that man to Jesus. And in a three-hour trip from Phoenix, he got to lead three people to Jesus. And he sat across the aisle from me and looked at me, and my first response as a normal person was, who's this Jesus freak? What's wrong with me? I had one earphone on because my thought was, when this guy talks to me, I don't want to be rude, but I also don't want pe- me to aso- people to associate me with this guy because now the whole plane knows who he is. So I'm kind of like one ear, headphone off, and, and he said, hey, take that other headphone off. <laughs> and I did. He sat across from me and he said, so you, you say you know Jesus. And there was this look in his eyes like, you say you know Jesus, but you don't seem to care very much. And I went, yeah, bro. Yeah, I'm a preacher. (laughs) And he said something to me. I'm going to admit to you right now. You're going to fire me? He said, so you're just a preacher on Sundays. I said, yeah, apparently. I think about it every time I get on a plane. And let me tell you what happened on that trip. I was so stressed. I was so anxious. I was so frustrated. I had this anxiety in me. I had made everything in my life about me. Do you know what I'm talking about? And let me tell you what happens. I'm going to tell you right now. And if you're asleep or you're thinking about you right now and you're depressed, you're frustrated. When you stop and make it about you, you will end up sitting in a plane, frustrated, depressed, and who knows where else. When you make life about you, It leads you places you don't want to be. This guy sitting across from me, I don't know, prophet, whatever, but I can tell you he was different. Not just because he was fun and smiled a lot, because he had a perspective, a peace, that even as a Christian, I wanted. Do you understand how ridiculous that is? I almost didn't share this with you today. Because it's hard for a Christian to admit he's not being a Christian every day. Especially a preacher. But I'm going to tell you, it happens. And when it happens, you lose perspective on life. These people, these people that lived in the Old Testament, I want you to get this and kind of pull it into your life today. Don't make them Disney characters. These are people that dealt with more problems than you got right now, I promise you. These are people who went home and didn't get KFC on the way home. These are people that had to, had to get their food wherever they could. These are people who didn't have a home to go to. 
They lived in caves, much of them. Many of them lived in the woods. They had to live on the land. They're amazing people who got perspective on life. And they were weird. They were different. I hope someday I'm that weird. I'm weird in bad ways. Might as well be weird in the good ways. Often these people have incredible adventures. They have incredible adventures. Now, if you're here today and you're a Christian person, I see this on Facebook all the time. I'm not looking at anybody. If, if you're a Christian person today and you're bored with your life, you're missing something. Because if you look at the people who are actually following God, there ain't time to be bored. You know what I'm saying? I've got a friend like this too who, who decides in his life that he's going to go from person to person in his life and actually pay attention to them. Actually look at them. Actually think about them. This guy gave up his debit card. That's like an ultimate sacrifice, isn't it? Because with his debit card, he felt like he could go to the gas station and go to the pump and just get gas and not have to talk to anybody. And he could go to the ATM machine instead of go to the bank teller and get what he needed. So he gave up his debit card. So he has to go into the gas station. He has to go into the bank. I love this guy. This guy's a, a mentor of mine from Wisconsin that I just, one of my favorite people in the world. And when we talked about it, he, he asked the whole staff um, at, at the church that I was on at the time to give up their debit card for one week. And this was when debit cards were really cool, like you were a thing, you know. And I, did, I, I totally put up my debit card, and in two days I was going nuts. I actually had to talk to people. And I found myself, I'd get up in the morning, on a Monday morning, and he asked us to pray this prayer every day. God, put people in my path today. Put people in my path today that I can make impact on in my life. So I'd pray that prayer, and if I had my debit card in my back pocket, I would do everything I could do to avoid people. I would pray, God, please put people in my path. And then I would go this way. And if the people would come, I'd go this way. I would have spent my whole life avoiding people in the name of, I'm too busy. The truth is, this is the way we live our lives. And it leads us to sitting on an airplane in 3B, bored. Instead of sitting in every seat that's available and speaking to people and getting into their lives. These people, these people with perspective these prophets at this time, they weren't bored. You can say a lot of things about them, but one thing you wouldn't say is that their life was boring. If you're looking for adventure, if you're looking for the next big thing in your life, this is it. If you're getting older and you're starting to find yourself watching Matlock, reruns of Matlock in the afternoon, sorry. I mean, on a, on a regular basis. If you've seen the same episode of Friends 33 times... Get out the house. I love this. My mom, all the time, you can't go to a restaurant in Bloomington. You can't go to Walmart with my mom. You can't. Don't. If you got something to do in the afternoon, don't go to, my, to Walmart with my mom at 1 o'clock. Because not only does she run into people she knows, but she looks for them. You know, this happens, this happens to me sometimes. I'll be walking through, and I'll, I'll see somebody, and you'll be like, oh, boy, that's 20 minutes. And you go to the other aisle. None of you. I never would do that to any of you, I promise. But you know what I'm talking about. Oh, that's a 20-minute conversation. My mom does this. She takes the cart and looks down the aisle. Oh, oh, do I know? Ah, I think I know her. And no, I didn't, but I'll, I'll meet her. That's kind of my mom's. She's praying in the cereal aisle. She's praising God in the toilet paper aisle. It's amazing, but it's two hours. It's somebody then, you, you go on the way home, and you know what I never hear from my mom on the way home from Walmart? Boy, I'm just depressed. I'm just tired of all the bad things going on in my life. I'll never hear that. 
You know why? Because she's got this perspective. When you dodge the toilet paper aisle because of the 20-minute conversation, when you consume yourself with avoiding people at all costs and make everything about you, don't be surprised. Wake up. Don't be surprised. If you find yourself sitting in your recliner the third time through Matlock, depressed, frustrated, and wondering why you're on the earth. Okay? First thing I'm going to ask you when you call and say, why am I here, is what are you doing? Get out. Do something. You don't have to be gifted. You just have to be breathing. The pastor in Belay used to say, if you're fogging a mirror, if you can fog a mirror, you can serve. For most of you in this room, that's the case. Incredible adventures. These people seldom struggle with peace. Seldom struggle with a lack of peace in their life. Doesn't that sound good? And then here's the thing. Gosh, i got to get moving. They know the four most freeing words in life. And if you're here today and you came in bondage, you know what I mean by that? You came with your hands tied <clears throat> by stress, by anxiety, by depression, by frustration, by life, by whatever it is. I want you to know these are the four most freeing words in life. And here they are. You're not going to like it, but I don't care. <laughs> it's not about me. And if you make it about you, don't be surprised when depression sets. Don't be surprised when you wonder, what am I doing here? It changes everything. This phrase is the secret to getting perspective. So if today you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, John's talking about perspective. He's talking about peace again. And this peace that's kind of ethereal, it's out there. I don't know how to get it. This is the secret. You get up in the morning and you go, God, it's not about me today. It's not about getting what I want. It's, not, it's about my kids. God, would you help me lead them? It's about my neighbor. It's about, and when you get on the plane, don't go, boy, I hope I get next to somebody who's not big, you know? It's about, when I get on the plane, I go, boy, I hope I get somebody who's not spilling over into my seat, or I hope it's not somebody who smells, or I hope I get an aisle seat, or I hope I get, it's, I hope the seat next to me is filled with somebody who needs Jesus. Or just somebody I can have a conversation with. Somebody I can infuse hope in. And when that happens, it changes your life. I know this sounds cheesy. I know it sounds churchy. But I want you to know, if you try it one time, you will see. This is not something that just progresses with time. The first time you do it, you'll see what it does to the perspective in your life. So at this point in history, that sets us up for one of my favorite stories of any prophet. Okay, And then I'm going to knock this out quick. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 18. It's a man named Elijah. And Elijah is a prophet who is well-known throughout history. In fact, when Jesus, Jesus lived 30 years, um, 33 years, he died on a cross and um, came back to life. That's cool. If that surprises you, you've got to come back in a few weeks. Awesome. Comes back to life, beats death. And when he does, he's on the earth for a little bit longer. A whole bunch of people see him, so they know he was dead and they know he raised from the dead. There's no question about that. This is the first man in history to actually beat death. He, then he goes up to a mountain and he ascends into heaven. The Bible calls it the ascension. He ascends into heaven. A bunch of people saw it. He goes up into heaven. And when he does, there are two people waiting with him. Moses and a man named Elijah. A man named Elijah comes and that's how big this dude is. I mean, he is like high up on the cool guy religion scale. I mean, just amazing guy. Incredible thing. Um, one story after another that Elijah gets perspective. He just totally gets perspective. And at this point in history, so cool. This point in history, the Israelites in all the areas have gone away from God. They've gone away from the one true God. And they started worshiping Baal. 
Baal. And if you read it and nobody's ever said that word to you before, you might read it like this, Baal. It's B-A-A-L, okay? It's not Baal, it's Baal. Um, and, uh, and Baal is basically a, another god. And they, they can see it, they, they make statues and out of wood and gold and different things, and they worship Baal. And God is, and it leads them not only just to worship somebody other than God, but it leads them to these weird things. They get into worshiping all different kinds of things. They get into some sacrifice of even people at some points in history. And at this point, they, they would worship and it, they, they would worship Baal and they would slash themselves with sharp things and, and bleed out during their worship. That was part of their worship service. It was strange. I didn't see any of you doing that this morning during worship. Thank goodness for that. It's very, very strange. And, and Elijah, at one point, he keeps telling the king, King Ahab and, and uh, Jezebel, who, please don't name your daughter Jezebel if you're having a baby. Um, for lots of reasons. Nobody does that. She is an awful person. Um, she continues to undermine the whole kingdom and push people away from God. And, and basically, at this point in history, it's, it's the king and this awful woman against Elijah, God's prophet. And all of the nations are going towards Baal worship. And Elijah does this thing. He says, we're going we're gonna to get together. You're going to love this. We're going to get together and we're going to have a battle. I love this. Battle of the gods. Doesn't sound like something you have to order on pay-per-view, you know? Cage match. Battle of the gods. Yahweh versus Baal. And he basically says, I want you to bring all of your prophets, bring all the prophets of Baal, all of the people who are supposed to be high up in your religion, bring them to Mount Carmel. Now, I've been to Mount Carmel, and there's this eerie feeling like there was a cage match here, you know? It was, it's incredible. But bring them to Mount Carmel. And he said, and I will show up and I will represent God, Yahweh, the one true God, and we'll see who is God. Now, to give you some backstory here, it hasn't rained for a long time. It's a huge drought. And Elijah has told the people, God is causing the drought because you guys have fallen away from him. And when I give the word, it'll rain again. When God gives me the word, I'll say it and it'll rain again. So people are like, no, whatever. They don't believe Elijah, they don't, and they want him killed. They get up to Mount Carmel, and check this out. Uh, uh, go back one there. Sorry. Um, basically, this is what he says. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Let's get ready to rumble. Elijah went before the people and said, how long? Oh, man, I resonate with this. I mean, I'm not a prophet, but sometimes I totally feel this. He stood up and he looked in the face of people who had followed God for a long time, but had fallen away. What I do sometimes on Sundays. People who were faking it. When they got with God people, they would act like they were following God. But when they got with Baal people, they act like they followed Baal. He looked him in the face. Man, I, this burns me. This is kind of fire in my bones time. This is what he says to them. Check this out. Maybe this is right to you this morning. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. This is what they would have heard at this time. This is not near as heavy in English. This is what it would have been in English. You may not like the whisper, but this is the way it would have sounded really to the people at this time. If you believe in God, follow him with everything you have. 
If you don't follow him with everything you have, you can go to hell. That's the word of the prophet. I wouldn't say that. I kind of just did. You know what? Jesus says it a little bit differently later. He says, those of you who are lukewarm, I spit you out of my mouth. I can't take it. I I don't want it. Either follow God and live for him and do the best you can with your life, living for him, or don't. And that's the way Elijah starts this whole thing. And man, does it make people mad. Not only does it make Baal worshippers mad, but it makes the people who are following God mad. Because what they want to do is they want to follow God, Yahweh. Yeah, 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 Elijah, I'm still following Yahweh, but I want Baal too. And Elijah says, you can't, no, that's not, that's not God. That's not what he's asked for. So check this out. Here's what happens. So the act one of this big thing is that the Baal worshippers all come out on Mount Carmel. I love this story. So they took the bull given them and prepared it They cut it up and they put it on this altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Now I want you to get a picture of this. All these prophets, all of these Baal worshippers, sacrificing to Baal, and they want Baal to, to, to consume this meat and to prove to everybody once and for all that Baal is the true God. I want you to get a picture of this. Elijah sitting nearby, probably on a stone, you know, maybe playing solitaire on the ground, just bored, waiting for them. Look at this. They said, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, (laughs) I love this. At noon, Elijah began trash talking. That's not what the Bible says, but he says he began to taunt them. He's getting bored. You guys are boring me here. This is never going to happen, this Baal thing. So look at this. He says, Surely he's a God, small g, see that? Perhaps he's deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Actually, the last one, traveling, is a nice way in English of translating. Or gone to the bathroom, that's what it means. In a crude way, actually. Maybe he's sleeping, or must be awakened. Can you imagine how mad these people are getting at him at this point? So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is the promise of gods with a little g. If you've made another god in your life, a husband, a wife, girlfriend, a boyfriend, if you put all of your faith in them, maybe it's a TV, maybe it's a truck, maybe it's a house, maybe it's a 401k, if you put all of your life, all of your trust, all of your faith in them, when you need them most, as you're standing, shouting, wanting them, this is the promise of that God. No answer. In the time you need it most, the little G will always fail. Check this out. Act 2. Finally, Elijah's like, all right, guys, I've had enough of this. You guys are bleeding all over yourselves. You're dancing around. I've got to put this stop to this. So act two of this. With the stones built, he basically looks at this altar and he builds these stones. With the stones built, with, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench. Now remember, I want to put this in your head again. There is a drought at this point. Water is incredible shortage. shortage. There's very little water around anywhere. He dug, dug, digs a trench 
around it, around the altar, enough to hold two, basically 24 gallons or so of water. He arranged the wood, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, I'm not sure who them is, honestly. I think it may be some of the Baal worshipers. He says, fill four large jars with water. I mean, this might be all the water that's on the mountain. Four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. So what he's going to do, he's going to pray that God would light fire and would consume this bowl. In the, middle of the, in the middle of Mount Carmel, in front of all these people, that he would just light it up. But before he does that, I want you to know, he's basically showing everybody, there's nothing up my sleeves, okay? I'm going to pour water on this thing. So he does it. Do it again, he says. So they did it again. Do it a third time. He ordered three times. He soaks this whole altar in water. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. You got a picture of this now? Soaking wet. Why would he do that? I think one of the reasons is to prove that this is not a trick. This is not Elijah. This is not Elijah doing this. This has to be outside of human behavior. At the time of the offering of the sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, now watch this, he didn't slash himself. He didn't have to dance around. Oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done these things at your word. And then he says, excuse me, cold chill, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these, this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. And the grand finale, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. And you know what they didn't say? Elijah is amazing. They said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. He is God. Big G. In the worst time, in the time you need Him the most... Only the big G comes through. This is an incredible story. But I want to tell you why. It's because of Elijah's life theme. We're about to finish. But i got to tell you this. I want you to think about your life theme. Now, not a phrase that you say when you're having a hard time. If somebody was to say about you, what is your life theme? Your husband or your wife, your friend. If my daughter was to say, what's daddy all about? Somebody would say, what's your dad all about? What would they say? You know, a year or so ago, I think if you'd asked my daughter what's daddy about, she would have said, he owns a video company. Really? That's that's me? Not he preaches? Not he's a great daddy? What would your life theme be? You know what Elijah's life theme was? It's not about me. Look at that last thing he says. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Next slide. One more. 
As the band comes up this morning, I want to give you an opportunity today. I want to give you an opportunity to get some perspective on your life. Maybe you need some today. This is a great opportunity to say, God, I, I've, taken, I've taken my life, I've made it about me. And it, with that's come all this junk that I don't want. This is a great opportunity for you to say, God, I want to make this about you and about the people around me. And when you do, this thing happens where you, you become kind of like the prophets. When you actually live this thing out. Now, some of you, I'll just be real honest with you, a lot of us are going to walk out of here and you may say, boy, that was an inspiring message. Or you may say, boy, that was a good nap. And you're going to go right back to the way you're living. All about you. I hope that doesn't happen. But I want you to remember this. When you get to Thursday and the depression sets in again, the frustration sets in again, I warned you. Now, some of you today are going to say, I'm so tired of that feeling in my life. I'm so tired of the pain. I'm tired of the frustration. I'm tired of the depression. I'm going to make my life about something other than me. I'm going to make it about the people around me. I'm going to make it about putting God in the center of my life. Some of you can do that today. And when you get to Thursday and you go, I've never felt like this. This is peace that passes on understanding. This is perspective. This is life. Send me a Facebook message, will you? Because to me, that is your story. That's the reason you're here. It's to gain that perspective. To get that understanding of what you're doing and who you are. You're going to go back to work tomorrow. What God wants you to do is to look and say, God, what is it today at work that I can do for the people around me, for you? And that's the story. You know, the question is, will you, you, will you embark on God's story? Or are you making your own up? The truth is, if you're a Christian, there's always this feeling that you become a Christian. Why don't just go to heaven right then? Why not just do the ascension thing, you know? Why not just get on a mountain and go to heaven as soon as you become a Christian? And I believe the reason is because God's not done. It's just the beginning. What He wants in you is to get that perspective in you. Those of you who have retired from your job, don't retire from your life. What's next? I'll give you a chance today just to say this to God. This is real easy. I'm going to be back there in that corner. I'd love to pray with you. But I'd love for you to stand up. And during this song, you can sing the words if you want. You can do whatever you want. But make sure you say this to God. God, help me this week make my life not about me. And when you do, watch out. Adventure, peace, and a life that you've always wanted is at your doorstep. Would you accept today? Stand with us and sing. On a hill far away, stood an old ragged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I cherish the old cross.
trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross, cross. and exchange it